there are some messages that I share with the church in Norway on Sunday, and then the Spirit of the Lord just strongly impresses upon my soul that uh, you should share this also with uh, the uh, the saints who gather on, on Saturday. So we'll just obey the Lord, and this is something to do with the coming of the Lord. So we'll go straight to the Word of God. The, uh, we'll go to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21 and verse 37. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 21 and verse 37. Gospel of Luke, chapter 21 and verse 37. By the way, we before I begin, we, we need to keep praying for the people from different parts of the world who keep coming to the uh, podcast, he, uh, downloading them, hearing. I keep receiving messages. In fact, someone else from Sweden last week, uh, just a few days ago, again, contacted me with uh, questions about baptism. And so this is the second person within the span of a month who has contacted me from Sweden. So God is reaching out to people through these podcasts, and we ask everyone to pray. Uh, so that we can be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission to take this gospel to the whole world, because the Lord is definitely returning. We believe that. Jesus bless. So let's go to Luke chapter 21 and verse 37. The Bible says, In the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. Praise God. Let me read it again. In the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. And at night, he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. I, with the help of the Lord, will share a message entitled The Mount of Olives, where Christ ascended and will return. Amen. Notice what the Bible is telling us here. It's interesting that the Lord was teaching in the daytime in the temple. And of all the places that he could have chosen to spend the night, this is after all Jerusalem. I'm sure the Lord had several options to choose from. Uh, many people whom he knew disciples, saints, uh, people who benefited from his ministry. And yet, the Bible, you see, never records anything without meaning. Never. Jesus said not one jot or a tittle would pass away until all things are fulfilled. So our job is to pay attention and ask the Lord to help us to, to, you know, to pay attention to the details because without the the jots and the titles we may miss out on something big and in this case when I was preparing this message a few you know over a week ago it hit me for the first time it's like this sentence just stood out that he went he abode uh, in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives, at night. Well, why would he do that? 
it's not like uh, you know the there's uh, it's like a place that was known for uh, you know uh, housing people at night or something. So what what is going on here? And there, there's a clue here. There, there's something there we need to uh, dig, and uh, the Lord will help us as we explore. There's there was and there always will be something special about the Mount of Olives. Amen. So the Lord thought in the temple in the daytime, but at night he preferred the environment on the Mount of Olives. It appears clearly the Lord made this a habit. It appears that he enjoyed staying in this mountain the entire night. Question is why? What is special about the Mount of Olives? And what lessons may we draw for our own spiritual edification? And that is really the key term, spiritual edification. Everything written in the Word of God is written with a purpose, either to edify, to rebuke, to correct, to reprove. All of it is necessary for our successful journey to heaven. So in order for us to begin to approximate, understand what this is about, we need to go first to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. In fact, a lot of what we are studying today is from the book of Zechariah. If Sister could be kind enough to, I, I don't know where I put the picture I showed in the church last week about the the two olive trees which were pouring out their olives into the menorah. If you could locate that, and uh, when when I request, if you could share it, I would be grateful. So the thing is, let's read first the scriptures from the book of Zechariah, chapter twelve, chapter four, verses twelve to fourteen. The Bible says, "And I answered again, and said unto him, What?" be these two olive branches which through the golden the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves and he answered me and said knowest not thou not what these be and i said no my lord then said he these are the two anointed ones that stand by the lord of the whole earth praise god if we can look at the image. Um, I found one image on the internet which I think most uh, clearly elucidates, illuminates this notion that what the, the vision that the prophet Zechariah saw. If you have it ready, you can share it, Sister Hymenov. But the thing with this, uh, thank you. Please have a look at this image here of uh, what the prophet had seen. Because once you see this image, uh, if you could still zoom in on it, sister. Yeah. So when you look at this image, it's still uh, unclear. It's a bit small here. I don't know why. 
Um, but the point is, if you can just look at these two olive trees and notice how from these olive trees, oil is being poured into a golden bowl. And from there, the golden bowl empties itself into the menorah, the uh, you know seven-branched golden lampstand that we read about in the book of Revelation. Once you understand what the prophet was seeing, you understand the importance of the olives, the symbolism behind the olives. Let me break it down for you. You see, the olives represent anointing. Let's all say anointing, because that is really what is at the core. I loved it when Sister Monica said she is anointed. She has a Holy Ghost 20 years ago. She received the Holy Ghost. That is anointing. And you see, we, we really cannot please God. We cannot even make it to heaven. It's highly risky. We've been commanded to receive this oil. Now notice how the menorah, the menorah represents the church. We know that from the book of Revelation. The, Jesus mentioned seven churches. These seven churches were representative of the entire church. Some were strong. Some were weak. But nevertheless, look at the menorah. The menorah has one base. Actually, the entire menorah, in a sense, begins with that base. That base is Jesus. Jesus is the root of the church. He is, hallelujah, the source of the church. We are the branches in him. The church are the branches. We must abide in him. And the church is dependent on oil, olive oil, in order to have fire, in order for the menorah, the church to burn. Praise God. Are we on fire today? Are we burning? Amen. Sometimes the fire may be crackling, it may be, we may be ablaze, and sometimes it is quietly burning away, as we see in the picture there. But nevertheless, the fire is to never be put out. God said in the book of Leviticus, the children of Israel were to do everything with the tabernacle. They built everything, but there was in the end one thing that they could never uh, bring into the tabernacle. And that was fire that could only come from heaven into the tabernacle. Churches may do whatever they want, but ultimately the fire must come from heaven. The apostles did everything else. They were repented. They were baptized in Jesus' name. But they had to wait in the upper room for the fire to come from heaven. Praise God. So what we are seeing here is the importance of the olive trees. In other words, it's clear. Without the olive trees, there will be no menorah. There will be no fire. 
There will be no anointing. God bless you. Thank you, sister. I'm not. We can. Uh, you can. You can leave this page. So, once we've understood this, we can understand why it's as if the Lord was surprised at the question of Zechariah, because Zechariah said, "What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves?" And he said, "I answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be?'" In other words, we all should know that without the oil, the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, there will be no church. There will be no fire. But Zechariah said, no, Lord, I don't know. And he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand, stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Praise God. Praise God. You see, we... We cannot stress enough the importance of this oil, of the source of the oil, the Mount of Olives. And to me, this whole scenario with Jesus teaching in the temple and going at night to the Mount of Olives is symbolic. The Bible speaks on many different layers to us. It's as if we can't just go to the temple and teach. There must be anointing from somewhere. Hallelujah. Not that Jesus needed anointing. Jesus is his own source of anointing. He is the Holy Ghost. Praise God. He is the olive tree. He is the Mount of Olives. But clearly, Jesus loved the Mount of Olives. In fact, Jesus loved the Mount of Olives to such a degree that he selected this strategic location to be the place from where he would leave the earth and return to the earth. Can somebody shout amen? Hallelujah. What a beautiful place. Amen. Human beings have this proclivity, this tendency to venerate places that have great significance. I ask you, what significance, I mean, what greater significance can we find than in the Mount of Olives? The very place from which Jesus leaves the earth, left the earth, and the place to where he shall return, his feet shall touch down. Praise God. Amen. So that's wonderful when we think about it. But it's all connected with anointing. There's no teaching without anointing. When we are not teaching, we should be going to the Mount of Olives. We should seek the anointing from the Lord. Praise God, we should go to the Mount of Olives. I hope we are here today at the Mount of Olives. As we hear the word of God, may the Lord uh, command the olive branch to pour out its oil upon us. Hallelujah. May your head be anointed. May the oil flow from the top of your head as it did with Aaron the high priest, down his beard and down to his skirts. Hallelujah. For there the Lord commanded his blessing forevermore, the Bible says in Psalm 133. Praise God. Hallelujah. We need anointing. Never be satisfied with the anointing that you have. God always has more oil. That's why the, apostle, the prophet Elisha was disappointed with that Widow woman, 
because at some point she stopped. She limited the anointing of God. The oil would have flown and flown and flown. Hallelujah. It would have flowed. I mean, it would have flowed. It was just a matter of her, I mean, telling the whole town, listen, we have access to unlimited oil. Praise God. Amen. Everyone, bring some container. Bring a barrel. Hallelujah. Because there's a man of God in my house. That's what the church should be saying to the world today. Church, come, everyone, hallelujah. Because since the day of Pentecost, as was prophesied in Joel 2.28, the anointing will never stop. Praise God. The question is, are we bringing barrels to the Lord? Are we bringing vessels, empty vessels? The problem is we, the church, we are like the widow woman. That's the meaning of that message with the story of Elisha. It is we who limit God and the anointing is not stopped. But the barrels, we've stopped bringing vessels. We've stopped bringing barrels. May God help us to find the barrels, to bring the barrels in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We need to knock on every door. We need to find ways. Come, hallelujah. There is free oil flowing. You need to fill every container in your house in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm For one, I'm thankful. The anointing of God is unlimited. In a world which is empty, in a world which promises so much and delivers so much pain and suffering, our God, hallelujah, has the joy of anointing. He has the oil of joy. Hallelujah. Who doesn't want unlimited joy, unlimited blessing? Have you ever tasted of the oil of God? Have you ever been anointed? Praise God. You'll become an addict. And what a blessed addiction it is. Hallelujah. When a person is anointed with the oil of Jesus. Amen. Give me no other oil. Hallelujah. Give me oil in my land. Keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Hallelujah. Can we sing that from? Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Oh, sing. Hosanna, sing. Hosanna, sing. Hosanna to the King of Kings. You see, when they were singing this song, Amen. It's then that the Lord, he warned the Pharisees not to stop them. There comes a time when nobody should stop us. When it comes to the anointing, may your cup flow over in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let nobody hinder the bringing of vessels. Hallelujah. God wants to fill every soul with his oil. Amen. Praise Jesus. When the Lord returns, on the, he is going to return for everyone who is anointed. Everyone who is filled with the Holy Ghost. He knows you. Praise God. It's his oil. Jesus knows whom he gave his oil to. He will find us. He will find you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Amen. So, to put it another way, 
the Mount of Olives is intimately connected with the ascension and return of the Lord because he leaves his church with his anointing and will return expecting the church to retain that anointing and to be overflowing with that anointing. The church should always be the one place on this earth which is rich with oil. Say, I'm rich with oil. We're rich with oil. And I'm not speaking about the, the oil of the, the Saudi Arabians or Texas oil. Amen. <laughs> Sister Moni. We know we, I don't know why I associate Texas with oil, but there's some oil there, Gulf oil. But we are talking about heavenly oil. Praise God. Amen. We all need to be rich Arabians with Holy Ghost oil. Praise God. We need to be the Gulf states of Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost oil. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? The paradox of God. The most abundant reserves of oil are found in the most barren desert places of this earth. So you may say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm barren, I'm a desert. That's where God will pour out his oil. Hallelujah. The more hungry we are, like David, ah, my soul pants for thee, O Lord. That's where you'll find oil, praise God. Ah, we need oil. Just talking about oil makes you want to shout hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. May the Lord anoint you as he anointed Aaron. May he anoint us as he anointed David. The prophet would fill his horn with oil. You know, you know why they put oil in a horn? Horn represents strength. Amen. You know, the, the Bible speaks about the horn. That is the ten kingdoms in the book of Revelation. Ten powers. Even the Antichrist is called a little horn who, be, who begins to, you know, muscle his way to power. Horn is strength. When you get anointing, you become a horn. For God, hallelujah. You have power, you have power. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Praise God. Amen. You're not a weakling when you have the oil of the Mount of Olives. Amen. When God pours oil upon you, praise God, you become a lion. Amen. God changes your character. God emboldens you. God fires you up. Hallelujah. Amen. May God give us more and more oil. Hallelujah. We are the people of the Holy Ghost oil. Never forget that. Praise God. Amen. Let's continue. So, whenever we think about the Mount of Olives, and we should be. I've mentioned, I've been to Israel five times. You probably are tired of hearing this. Forgive me for that. But, each of the five times, of course, I had to make sure that I would visit the Mount of Olives. How could I not go there? That's the place from where the Lord left the earth. And that's where Jesus will return with the church. Somebody shout amen. Somebody say, I don't know from which part of the earth I will be leaving. But I can tell you today, good news. I can tell you where you will return to earth from. <laughs> The Mount of Olives. Can we shout hallelujah? Praise God. So when I went to Israel, I wanted to touch and see the place where when Jesus returns with the church after the rapture, 
I can tell you I've been there. And some of you were with me. So we know where, <laughs> when we return to the earth, amen, I, I don't know where I leave the earth from. It could be Texas, it could be uh, Timbuktu, it could be Tokyo, but I know one thing. Jesus already decided when he returns, we will return through the Mount of Olives. Praise God. What a beautiful thought. Amen. So if you didn't know this, we've revealed a very important uh, part of your future. Praise God. Free of charge. God bless. So let us begin with this mysterious relation between the return of the Lord and the Mount of Olives. Let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. Matthew 24 and verse 3. Matthew 24 and verse 3. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3 says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Praise God. Did you notice something? Where were they sitting? The Mount of Olives. Amen. Did I, didn't I just say the Mount of Olives is always intimately connected with the return of the Lord and anointing? Praise God. Don't you see how the two fit together? Without expecting the return of the Lord, how are we going to seek the anointing of the Holy Ghost? And without the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we will not be able to think much about the return of Jesus. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. The two are intimately connected. If you find a Christian who is not waiting or excited about the return of Jesus, it's because they don't have the oil of the Mount of Olives, so to speak. Or if they have the oil and they're not expecting the return of Jesus, they just are not allowing the anointing to lead them, to guide them. Praise God. If you have the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it will teach you. Jesus said he will show you things to come. Say with me, things to come. When you have anointing, it will be shouting, Maranatha, Jesus is coming. That's what the Holy Ghost does. Because the Holy Ghost is Jesus' is Holy Ghost. We do not believe in three separate gods. We believe in one God. His name is Jesus. He is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Don't you think the Holy Ghost will be telling you Jesus is coming soon? The Holy Ghost is Jesus himself. It's him in us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And Jesus will be shouting day and night and saying, I'm returning my child. I'm returning one of these days. Praise God. Oh, wow. Hallelujah. Ha! Ah, that's the purpose of the anointing. And let me tell you, remember the two witnesses we just spoke about in Zechariah chapter 4? Isn't it interesting? That the Bible says these two witnesses will return before Jesus returns in the book of Revelation. They are the ones who mess up the plans of the Antichrist. They cause an earthquake to come. They challenge him. They humiliate him. While the whole world, CNN will be watching and BBC. And there'll be a showdown between these two guys because they are so full of anointing. Praise God. Amen. The Lord will send them down for a little while just to mess things up for a moment for the Antichrist. Because the Bible said these are the two olives, branches that 
trees that are, that are constantly there before the Lord. There are two mighty anointed people with God. Amen. Don't you want to be an, an, a mighty anointed person of God? I like to read about David's mighty men. But I would rather be the mighty anointed saint of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. May the Lord send you to do some damage to the kingdom of Satan in Jesus. May the Lord anoint you and send you out to do some serious damage to the kingdom of Satan in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. That's the purpose of anointing. Amen. To destroy the works of the enemy in Jesus' name. Because it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Praise God. You have a problem? Is Satan troubling you? Just seek anointing. You don't need to go around studying about demons. It doesn't help anyone. I know someone once said, the more I need to study more about devils, it will do you no good. What you need to do is go to Jesus and say, fill my cup, Lord. Hallelujah. I lift it up, Lord. And then, praise God, you will do some serious damage to Satan's kingdom. So these two anointed men before the Lord, he sends them down and we see what they do. They shut up the heavens. They cause an earthquake. Hallelujah. The Antichrist kills them. And what happens? A breath of God comes and they rise up in front of everybody. See? Anointing, resurrection, the Mount of Olives, ascension. They always go together. You cannot kill somebody who is anointed by God. He will live forever. She will live forever. Amen. For three days, their body was lying in the streets. Of the city that is spiritually called Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says on the third day. Praise God. No one can keep you down when you have the anointing of the Lord. You may receive a terrible blow from the kingdom of the enemy. It may look like you're knocked out. As sure as the anointing of God is forever. And Jesus is the breath that raises up this dry army. In the valley of Ezekiel. Amen. We will live. Say I will live because I have the anointing. I have the anointing. I have the unction of the Holy Ghost. I will live. I will resurrect. I will overcome in Jesus name. Praise God. You know what gives us the confidence to speak this way? Where is our boasting coming from? Say the anointing. The anointing of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Hallelujah. Amen. This is not just something we're talking about. We feel it in every fiber of our being in Jesus' name. Praise God. The anointing will teach you, Jesus said. You see, when Jesus is speaking to them, they, they can't understand. It's difficult for them to believe in. But once the anointing comes, that's why we tell somebody, let's pray for you to get the Holy Ghost. Because then I don't need to talk too much. I don't need to teach you too much. The anointing will teach you. The anointing will break the yoke. The anointing will help you to become a new person. What did Samuel tell Saul? He said, join the company of prophets and the spirit of God will come upon you and you will prophesy and become a change man. Somebody say change man. Yesterday we were having a nice discussion about change. And here again, a scripture is coming without me thinking about it. change is not in the capacity or power of human beings. We have some of the best education systems, the best uh, self-help and self-improvement and 
step, seven steps to this and 20 steps to that? And how come the number of incarcerations are just increasing? Crime is out of control. Huh? What, what, why? It's because they don't, it's not in humans to change their character. Can you have a reformed criminal? Of course, but he's still a criminal. There will still be criminals. When I say reformed criminal here means basically, look, in 2008, the financial crisis started where? Who were the criminals? It was in Manhattan, wasn't it? It, it was in basically Wall Street. Yeah, We call them educated criminals because the damage they caused. Recession worldwide. What were they doing? They basically were engaging in highly immoral activities. They were giving loans to people who they knew actually should not be given loans. And then they would package these loans and they would sell them off to China. Imagine, you know, with different rates of risk. And so you don't have to know much about economics, but I can tell you this much, that these were toxic loans. And everyone knew it's just a matter of time before the whole market would collapse, beginning with Lehman Brothers, like too big to fail. You remember those days? The point I'm trying to make is this. Those were highly educated people. They were PhD holders. But greed, greed is sin, is the problem of humanity. And only the spirit of Jesus can deal with it. Jesus never told anybody to go to a course and learn how to be more, you know, patient, respectful, good, whatever. The Bible says the fruit of the spirit. Somebody said to me, the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of humanity or the educational system. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, righteousness, temperance, etc. Amen. Carry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. What we need is the Holy Ghost. We have enough education. We have enough knowledge. Look at it, the internet. The Bible says in the last days, knowledge will increase. People will go to and fro. Has the world become a better place? Not at all. Because sin is a problem. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't speak to Greeks. They thought they were honoring Jesus by saying we would want, we'd want to talk to Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. In other words, go and die. Bury yourselves in Jesus' name. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Get rid of the nature of Adam. And then Jesus will give you new life. You will be born again. Amen. You will drink spiritual milk and eat spiritual meat. Praise God. And you will fulfill the scripture which says God made man in his image. Praise God. That is the kind of person we are looking for. That is the kind of person that we are seeking for God to cultivate in us in Jesus' name. And may God help us. May God help us in Jesus' name. Praise God. So coming back to Matthew 24 verse 3, the Bible says, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? There's something about the Mount of Olives and the return of Jesus. So the great chapter of Matthew 24 about the 
signs of the return of the Lord begins with the Mount of Olives. In order to receive the revelation about the Lord's return, we need to sit with him, so to speak, on the Mount of Olives. Once we are under his anointing on this mountain, at his feet, we will not be deceived by the beauty of this world. You remember what they were saying to the Lord before that? They, they somehow became, you know, uh, what shall I call it, uh, connoisseurs of architecture. They were admiring the temple buildings. It is said of the temple of Herod by Josephus, the historian, that when at a certain angle from the Mount of Olives, at a certain time, if you would behold the temple, the marble, which was basically what Herod used to construct the temple, the marble was such, the texture, the quality, the the that it would appear as if it was like the sea waves, you know, the waves of the sea flowing, the sea waves cascading. It was like one of the wonders of the ancient world. So I can understand the apostles were mesmerized by this and they were sitting there looking at it and they felt an urge to share this beauty with Jesus. <laughs> you know, we... God bless the apostles. I don't blame them. Sometimes we don't know who Jesus is, the God who made heaven and earth. Can you imagine what Jesus' eyes have seen? He saw it before it was, it was there. He said, oh, have you seen the sunset? Yeah, Jesus imagined it before he made it. All things were made by him. And now imagine coming to Jesus and saying, can I show you the sunset, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is good. His mercy endures forever. He's so wonderful. He listened to them. He could have told them, listen, uh, he's made greater things than that. He could have expounded as he did with Job about the creation of the world. Where were you? All the questions he asked Job and Job didn't have one answer. He pleaded ignorance. Let me tell you, Jesus at that moment told the apostles, do you see that building and those buildings there? There will not be one stone left upon the other. Hallelujah. Unless we have the anointing, we begin to praise things we should not praise. We become mesmerized by the beauty of this world, its temptations, its, uh, its deceptions. Beauty is skin deep. We need the Holy Ghost to see the true nature of things. And what will be the outcome of those things? Does something look beautiful to you today, brother or sister? Go to the Mount of Olives. Let Jesus see it and ask Jesus, Lord, what do you see? I see a beautiful temple, one of the wonders of the ancient world. My eyes are fixated on it. But Lord, I know that only you know the true nature of this building. Of this person that I'm trying to bring into my life. Of this person I'm trying to date or marry or whatever. Of this job that seems to be offering me so much money. Of this person here who seems to be so wonderful. 
You, you get the gist of what I'm saying? The apostles had no clue. For them, this is the most, I mean, the pride of Israel. You know, by the way, it was built by Herod. Herod was not even Jewish. Do you know that Herod was actually an Edomite? He was of the tribe of, of Esau, <laughs> the enemy of the children of Israel. And you know what Herod used to do? He killed a lot of Jews because they didn't want a foreigner to be their ruler. So in order to pacify the Jews and ingratiate himself with them, he built this beautiful temple. And you know what the rabbis said and the Pharisees, oh, we absolve you of all sin because you've built us such a beautiful temple. That's the deception of the world. When we are tempted by something, first go to Jesus. Go to the Mount of Olives. Let Jesus tell you the true nature of what you're looking at. The anointing will reveal, hallelujah, the nature of what we are seeing. Hallelujah. So in Matthew 24 and verse 2, the Bible says, Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow. You can imagine the effect this message had upon them. We need the anointing of the Mount of Olives so we can avoid the deceptions of this world, saints of God. That is a good place to be. The place where the anointing of Jesus opens spiritual eyes. Hallelujah. We can be certain that the apostles would never again look with admiration on the temple because its destiny had been revealed on the Mount of Anointing. I pray the Lord take us up to the Mount of Olives and expose, expose the vanities of this world in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I've noticed often it's when I'm deep in prayer that suddenly I begin to understand an issue that has troubled me for some time, or an issue that has puzzled me. I get clarity when I'm under the anointing. I see things that I never saw before. That's why prophets were called seers. They see things which you cannot see normally un unless you're under the anointing. May you see things under the anointing. May Jesus take us up to the Mount of Olives, you see, Jesus had to take the apostles up to another high mountain for them to seem transfigured and to know who he truly is. Amen. Down below, with the noise of the world, the Pharisees and the naysayers and the gainsayers, it's not easy to know who Jesus is. But let's go up to the Mount of Anointing and see things that we can never otherwise see, praise God. Let's continue. We further see the power of the symbolism of anointing on the Mount of Olives when the Lord sent his apostles to prepare the donkey that he was to ride into Jerusalem. You remember that famous story? Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. He was fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, thy king come, cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. In Matthew 21, verses 1 and 2, Matthew 21, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, Unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Notice when the Lord was near Bethphage, near the Mount of Olives. When it come to the Mount of Olives, in fact, that's when he gave this command. Notice the timing, notice the place. So here's another great prophecy about to be fulfilled from Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Amen. Thy king cometh. When Jesus, when the time came for Jesus to fulfill this command, he sent this, this uh, event, this prophecy. He gave the command on the Mount of Olives. Praise him. What a, what a, Poignant location. What an important location. Praise God. There's an anointing there. You see, prophecy cannot be understood except through anointing. Otherwise, like the Ethiopian eunuch will be saying, who is he speaking about? Is he speaking about himself or of another? Amen. And the one with the anointing, Philip, drew nigh and explained to him. Praise God. Had they had the Jews eyes to see and ears to hear, they would have known that this command on the Mount of Olives heralded the coming of the Messiah. So once again, the Mount of Olives is associated with the revelation, with the revelation of the coming of the Messiah. Oh, we need the anointing. If we are not to miss these great, great prophecies that are soon to be fulfilled, soon to unfold. Without the anointing, we will be like most of the children of Israel were in the days when the prophecies regarding Jesus were fulfilled. May I remind you that there were foreigners who were the first to come and tell the Jews that their king had been born. How about that? How about that? Imagine a foreigner coming to you and telling you about the Messiah that you've been expecting for hundreds, thousands of years. And you have no clue that he's, he was, he's already born not far from you. That's what happens when we don't have the anointing, when we are not right with God. We miss out on the greatest events. Your king is born the one of whom Isaiah said unto us, a son is born, a child is given, a child is born, a son is given, and, and his name shall be called, among others, the everlasting father, the mighty God. He's born a few kilometers away from you, and you have no clue, because we were mixing with Herod and Caiaphas and these kinds of guys, and here come foreigners, pagans, who tell us, uh, excuse me, but where is, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? 
you know, I would expect them, and that's basically what they said. Excuse me, we are Jews. We should know when our king is born. Uh, we have the scriptures, but let's anyhow read it. He's to be born in Bethlehem. See, they knew where he's to be born. They had the scriptures, but no anointing, no revelation from God to know nothing. They couldn't see the star. It was hidden from them. God's anointing is not for mockers. God's anointing is not for hypo hypocrites. God's anointing is not for uh, people who want to exploit the things of God for political purposes. In Jesus' name. That's why I, I have a problem with the kind of Christianity which is willing to call racists Christians and says somehow they're anointed and they're doing the work of God. What? God have mercy. We've got to be careful to whom we put, assign the label uh, Christian. We cannot insult whole nations and say we're Christian. We can't say we're going to build walls against Mexico and Mexicans will pay uh, for that wall. That is not the spirit of Christ. Christ loves everyone. The spirit of Christ is not to mock the nations, but to save the nations, praise God, to bring salvation to people. Amen. In Jesus' name. We need to reclaim Christianity. Otherwise, I'm afraid before long, we will be grouped with people who will be calling uh, anybody a Christian. I'm not here to judge anybody, but I'm saying we've got to be careful. I came as a refugee to this country 33 years ago. I'm a professor today, but that is by the grace of God. There were people saying at that time, we don't need these people here and all kinds of bad things. And I remember as an 18 years year old praying to the Lord, asking him for favor, for mercy. So it's easy when somebody's in power and you have everything and you don't know the plight of a refugee. You don't understand the pain of a refugee. And you become a populist and you just say all sorts of things about human beings. What happened to the command which says, love your neighbor as yourself? What about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan? Amen. What about the state, the, the great iconic saying, you know, uh, give me your, uh, what was it? The huddle masses on Ellis Island, isn't it? The teeming millions, etc. The Statue of Liberty. Is it for just a select few uh, people from certain parts of Europe? No. We've got to, I'm saying this, I know I'm stepping on some toes, but I'm saying this with love in Jesus' name. Jesus died for the human being. There's nothing more important that God made than a human being. Whether they are called Muslims or they are called whatever, God didn't call us to hate them. He called us to love them, to pray for them, to do good unto them. Amen. And above all, to bring salvation to them in Jesus. name. Otherwise, we are not representing Jesus correctly. That's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. Amen. To shock the Jews. To shock the living daylights out of them. It's like somebody telling me, do you, Palestinians are evil. I said, no, no. Who said that? Palestinians, we need to pray for them. They also need Jesus. Amen. 
everybody is the chosen people today. I love Israel, I love the Jews, but I'm not happy at how they treat the Palestinians also. No, they're, they're made in the image of God. Who made the Palestinians? Who died for the Palestinians? Didn't Jesus die for the Palestinians too? So we need to get our, I'm sorry I've digressed into some new territory, but I'm speaking under the anointing. Can we say amen to that? Um, it shouldn't be controversial to say, look at the human being. Before we give labels and numbers and whatever to people, we need to remember God made a human being and said, it is very good. What are we doing with the hum human being that God made? We have to give an account, Jesus said, even if we call somebody Raka, a fool, in Jesus' name. We need to go back to the basics of Christianity. We need to maybe apologize or repent of some of our prejudice and attitudes and racism towards people in Jesus' name. We live in a polarized world. And I, I for one, am a bit afraid. I've, I've got to pray about the coming U.S. elections. It's like we don't live in the USA. Why do we talk so much about it? Because they happen to shape much of what happens in the world today. And if there is, if a culture of hate and name calling and so-called culture wars is, is, has become the norm, we are in for a rough ride in the future. May God help us in Jesus' name. What is the solution? Let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to in God we trust. Amen. Truly in God we trust. Not just put it on the dollar bills and have slaves. No. It has to be a real praise God and God we trust in Jesus' name. So, I can tell you to what degree a person is practicing Christianity by the way they treat other human beings. Is that not a good litmus test? How do you treat other human beings? Amen. The other... A few days ago, after I came back from Sweden, on the way back near the border, I was driving. There was a young uh, lad who was uh, wanting to hitchhike. I took the risk, stopped the car. Turns out he's 24 years old from France. He lives an alternative lifestyle. He's one of those guys who basically is a bit anarchist. He lives in the forest in France. And he, know, he says it's very difficult, but he just doesn't want to be dependent on the government or have anything to do with modern life. Okay, suit yourself. When he came to Oslo, I told him, uh, where are you going to live? In Sweden, he lived five days in an island. Imagine. He ate the berries. I mean, th this is a, a bona fide, a genuine crocodile dundee or Tarzan or whatever you want to call him. And uh, I looked at him. I said, look, uh, I think you don't have a place to stay in Oslo. Do you know anybody? He doesn't know anybody. He said he actually doesn't. He's afraid of human beings. Can you imagine in 2023 you can meet such people? So I told this young guy, uh, uh, why don't you stay in my house tonight? I'll call my wife. We'll prepare food for you. A total stranger. But when I looked at him, I pitied him. We don't look at people's skin color. He was white, French, his English was poor. But I said, listen, man, I mean, he's like, like a son to me. And I, I that protective... Christian instincts kicked in. Took him to the supermarket, bought food for him, doesn't have anything. He lives by faith and he doesn't believe in God. I said, oh, I wish uh, I could live like you as, uh, while I'm a Christian. <laughs> you, you live like the apostles. 
I talked to him about Jesus. He saw my family pray together. He was looking. He was listening. I talked to him about Jesus. And the next day I sent him on his way. I may never hear from William. But I prayed for him. And I hope I left him with a lasting impression. I told him, William, if one day you're in trouble and you there's no help, call on the name of Jesus. That's how I left him at Frogner Park. Listen, the way you treat human beings is the, uh, how you glorify Jesus. The way you speak about human beings is how you glorify Jesus. Otherwise, it's an insult to use the name of Jesus for other purposes. Amen. So what's your motivation? Jesus. Amen. So may God help us. We need the anointing so that we can truly glorify Jesus. And I'm not saying it because I'm perfect. There are people I didn't treat well. And I wish I could have undone it in Jesus' name. But I know one thing. Under the anointing, things change. It's possible. We do things that we know we would not have done unless it was for the anointing. Praise God. So let's continue. The day finally came when the Lord took his disciples to bid them farewell. We should not be surprised that he chose the Mount of Olives as the spot for his ascension. In leaving the world from this spot, the Lord was highlighting the importance of anointing. Basically, what the Lord was saying is, stay anointed until my return. Amen. Was what he basically was communicating through the choice of this location. Let me repeat that again. I believe the Lord chose that location because unlike today, that mountain was filled with olives. I mean, it's like the mountain itself was like the head of Aaron and oil was flowing over, all over the place. There was a, a press there. We, those of you who were with me there, you know, just a few kilometers away, we have the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can still see ancient olive trees. Some were th over 2,000 years old, and they still produce oil. That's the beauty of this whole message and the, the, uh, the metaphor of the uh, uh, olive oil, because what it's saying is the olive oil seems to be consistent. The olive tree, I mean, year after year, thousands of years, it produces fruit, produces oil. Amen. When the spirit of Jesus is in us, we become like the olive tree. We will continually be producing fruit, even in our old age. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Amen. How do you pro produce fruit in your old age? Because the anointing is fresh. It comes from God. You become an olive oil. You become an all olive tree, like the two olive witnesses before the Lord. So basically, the Lord was saying, stay anointed until my return. Amen. And we know basically that on the Mount of Olives, Jesus' thoughts before he left was on the oil. How do I know that? Because Acts 1 verse 11 and 12 says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner no, sorry, I'm reading this wrong scripture. The, the, uh, there's no wrong scripture, but I'm reading from the wrong place. And I, I meant to read from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Somebody say amen. 
Where did he say these words? Say with me, the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Where were these famous words uttered? Let's all say the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives is about anointing. Jesus was teaching in the temple in the daytime. At night he was, somebody say, the Mount of Olives. Preachers, preach and go to the Mount of Olives. You need to refresh your supply of oil from Jesus. That's the message. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can't only dwell in the temple. You can't only dwell there. You've got to go and get oil from somewhere. Go to the place from where oil was supplied to the temple. Do you know that they were bringing oil from the Mount of Olives to the temple? Praise God. So, the angel tells the apostles, Hey, why do you all stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, here, from here, will return in the like man. Acts 1, 11 and 12. I can tell you there are few things more beautiful than standing on the Mount of Olives and just looking up into heaven. Amen. And then looking down again because Jesus will come back again. It's, it's, it's just so satisfying. So finally, the day will come when the Lord will return. And we know where his feet will touch ground. I was checking this the other day. And apparently it seems to still be true. That in the 60s or 70s. There was a hotel chain. I believe it was Hilton. Who wanted to build a hotel on the Mount of Olives. And somebody mentioned the scripture. That Zechariah 14.4. Let's read it first. Zechariah 14 and verse 4. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. That's what the Bible says. And guess what? They found that there is a, a, a crack, basically, or it's like a, a hairline crack that runs through the Mount of Olives. And if there is a tremor of sorts, earthquake, it will split into two. So they apparently commissioned a geologist, seismologist, and they found it's true. How about that? I mean, you know, you must say very coincidental. Maybe other mountains have the same hairline cracks. Maybe. Maybe it's a coincidence. But it's interesting when we look at the scripture and we know that the coming of Jesus, his feet touching down upon that mountain, will set off a chain of reactions that leads to this whole mountain splitting in two. Praise God. There's a lot of power in Jesus' foot. Amen. <laughs> the earth is my footstool, the Lord said. Praise God. Amen. That's why blessed is he who washed the feet of Jesus. Whenever I pray, it's like I want to wash the feet of my Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is expecting to return to a church with anointing. So now we can better understand the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins. Say with me, ten virgins. When we see, when we see the story of the ten virgins in conjunction with the symbolism of the oil of the Mount of Olives. Are you seeing the picture now? 
Let's turn to Matthew 25 verses 1. to. I want to close by showing you how these two play out and that all these events are connected to the Mount of Olives, to the coming of the Lord and anointed and preparation. Say, watch and pray, watch and pray. Matthew 25, 1 to 4, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Somebody say, no oil. Mm, that's why you need to dwell closer on the Mount of Olives. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They had been to the Mount of Olives, so to speak. We cannot wait at the Mount of Olives for the return of the Lord without the oil of anointing of the Holy Spirit. Those who have the anointing until the Lord returns will not miss his return. We trust we will even return with him from heaven on that day. Do you believe in the rapture? We believe in the rapture, the catching of the bride. But let me tell you one thing. Jesus cannot rapture those who haven't been to the Mount of Olives and ensured that they have a good supply, a reserve of the holy anointing. The Mount of Olives represents the bridge between heaven and earth. Amen. It was the last point from which the Lord left this earth and the first point he touches down upon. We too will leave this world with the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit and return with Jesus with the same anointing. Amen. I want to conclude with Romans 8 verse 11. The gospel, the, the, the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. See, it's the same spirit. Which spirit do we have? The same spirit that dwelt in Jesus. There's no room for a trinity here. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Let me conclude by appealing to everyone here. I hope you go off into the Mount of Olives. I hope you're among the five wise virgins who took oil with you. To go to the Mount of Olives means that you constantly know how to replenish your supply of the Holy Ghost. By coming here today, you have come to the Mount of Olives. Ah, somebody shout hallelujah. So oh my, I didn't know this. Welcome to the Mount of Olives. Wherever you go to get oil, ah, that's the Mount of Olives. When you go down on your knees to pray, you're at the Mount of Olives. When you open your Bible to read the scriptures, you're at the Mount of Olives. Amen. When you begin to worship, lift up your hands and glorify the name of Jesus, you're at the Mount of Olives. Amen. You are wise virgin. Praise God. Ah, hallelujah. Thank God for the Mount of Olives. Thank God for the Mount of Olives. It seems to be everywhere and nowhere. Nowhere for those who don't care. But for those who are wise, we know where to go. Be a wise virgin in Jesus' name. 
May you teach in the temple in the daytime and may you sleep on the Mount of Olives at night. In Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We just call upon your name today. We feel your presence here. We feel the unction of the Holy Ghost. We so appreciate you, my God. Hallelujah. You never fail to rush to our side and bless us. The angels rejoice with us. We know this is the beauty of holiness, the beauty of anointing. We feel, hallelujah, the joy of the anointing. I thank you for this message that you've laid upon your servant's heart to share with the church. I pray, Lord, we can only preach, but the anointing must come from heaven. Moses could only give the instructions for building each item, but the fire, the anointing came from heaven. And when it fell, Moses said, this anointing, this fire shall never go out. Lord, our job is to make sure the anointing never steps, stops flowing. Help us to constantly present our vessels, our bodies as containers, receptacles for this oil, Jesus. Help us to find other people who have no oil and bring them to the prophet Elisha, so to speak, so that you can fill every barrel in Jesus' name. I pray that your people will be wise virgins. I pray that as they wait, they will wait with the anointing. I pray in a world that is filled with turmoil and confusion and all sorts of distractions, I pray that we will keep our eyes focused on the anointing in Jesus, that we will join the company of the prophets, that we will sing and dance and shout with the likes of David and Miriam, hallelujah, and worship the Lord with Asaph in the temple who, who said constantly he is good, his mercy endures forever, hallelujah. Oh, we praise you. Giver of the olive oil, may we be found as faithful olive trees in the presence of the Lord. All this I pray in the name of the one and only God, our Savior, our God who was manifested in flesh for us, suffered for us, died, rose the third day, and is, is fixing to come back on that white horse. Hallelujah, and your feet will touch the Mount of Olives. We bless you in Jesus' name. We give you the glory. We magnify. And the church says, Amen, Amen, Amen.